Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and develop you in the art of thinking like God. One of the best ways you can do this is by reading my newest book, Spiritual Intelligence, which is available for purchase everywhere you love to buy your books. Check out my new book, Spiritual Intelligence, and let me know what you think about it. I hope you enjoy this message today. Psalms 23 is the very first uh, chapter, very first uh, uh, chapter of a book that I ever memorized. And I think right now we're, we're seated, you know, after you go through the valley of the shadow of death, then you end up at the table, Lord, where you're feasting while your enemy's watching. So I believe that we're feasting while our enemy's watching. Well, I want to pray for just a moment. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for what you're doing all over the world. And we thank you that you are, you transcend problems and challenges, Lord, that you are in the midst. You're not the light at the end of the tunnel. You're the light in the tunnel. And Lord, we pray uh, today as I share that people would be inspired. They, there would be an impartation for courage and wisdom. And we thank you for everything you're doing in our lives. Amen. Amen. I want to talk today about providence, the divine X factor. God is a divine X factor. And I'm thinking about Genesis chapter 12, um, when God spoke to Abraham, and I was, I was uh, just noticing that the first word that was ever given to Abraham was not where he was going, but where he couldn't stay. And I want to just read you this chapter 12, verse 1 verse. It says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house, and listen to this, to land I will show you. To land I will show you. If you would have spoke to Abraham and Sarai, which later was changed to Abraham, or Abram and Sarai, later on changed to Abraham and Sarah, if you would have spoke to them a week into their journey and said, where are you going? They would have had to say, we don't know where we're going. We just know where we can't stay. And I believe that there are times and seasons in life where the Lord refuses to tell us where we're going. And we, we, we live a life of faith which is often lived out in uncertainty of circumstances which tests our trust for God. And I, I want to read you a few things that I, I noted last night. We are often live under a false sense of security believing that we're actually in control of our destiny. <laughs> Let me say that again. We often live in a, under a false sense of security, believing that we are actually in control of our destiny. We're the most overly insured people in the history of the world. We have house insurance, car insurance, life insurance, as if you can insure life, liability insurance, health insurance, workman's compensation, sick leave, Medicare, Medicaid, home warranties, car extended warranties, and it goes on and on. And we keep buying warranties, hoping that we can insure that no future problem will ever touch us. We have our 401k, our social security plan, our retirement plan, and we think we are in control of our destiny, which gives us a false sense of security. I'd like to propose that God is the only one in control of our destiny. That one phone call from our doctor could change the outcome of our destiny. In Psalms 119, 105, Psalms 119, 105. That's a lot, there's a long, lot of verses in that chapter. It says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I've shared this a few times lately, especially. God is often, there are times and seasons where God is a lamp to our feet. And there are other times when he's a light to our path. 
And I think it's important to realize that the lamp to our feet seasons teaches us how to trust God for the care of our, ourselves. And what I'm getting at is that there are times when the Lord refuses to show us our future, our destiny, even our purpose, because the goal is for us to have ourselves anchored in him, not anchored in the vision he has for our lives. The light to our past seasons is awesome when the Lord highlights, hey, this is where you're going. We get these prophecies about you're going to be a doctor. You're going to be, you're going to be a, a sailor. You're going to be a nurse. You're going to be a mom. You're going to be a dad. And there's a deep sense that my security is coming from the fact that I have yet to fulfill my purpose. But there are seasons and times where, Lord, where the Lord actually blinds us to, the, to tomorrow so that we could build a relationship and security, not in where we're going, but in who we're with. James chapter one, I added this a few minutes ago. Um, this, this chapter is a chapter I have memorized most of this chapter because I've been through so many trials in my life. But James writes this, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, did you notice that he didn't talk about testing your character. He talked about testing your faith. That God, that trials are testing our faith. Listen to the rest of this. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all generously without reproach and it will be given to him. But if he asks, but if he asks, but, if he, but he must ask in faith, Without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought to not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded, unstable in all his ways. But listen to the next verse. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. I, I, I like this verse because he's talking about that trials are actually humble circumstances. And he says that when you're in humble circumstances, you should glory in your high position, trials don't necessarily test our character. At least this verse, in this verse, it says that trials actually test who do I have faith in? Do I have faith in my circumstances or do I have faith in the God of my circumstances? I was um, thinking about the Joshua and how God gives Joshua this decree that he's to go into the land, into this promised land, drive out all the inhabitants and the very first city that he was to take was a city called Jericho. Now, most of us probably know this story, but Jericho had double walls. Um, it, wasn't, it was the walls of Jericho that fell down, not the wall of Jericho that fell down. And this, the, there was an outer wall, and then there was, I, I don't know how many feet between them, and then there was an inner wall. And the challenge with Jericho, of course, not only was it a walled city, and these are walls that you could actually have chariot races on, so it's, we're not talking about a, a 12-inch wall. We're talking about a 20-foot thick wall. And once you got over the first wall in, in, at Jericho, you were stuck between two walls. This is the walls of Jericho. And, the, and the very, so the very first exploit that Joshua was to actually attack was a double-walled city, impregnable city, fortified city. And so Joshua gets up early in the morning before the great attack, and he, and I want to read you this little excerpt from Joshua. He's, he's afraid, 
He's overwhelmed. You can imagine God has told him to be strong and courageous. And in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, it says, It came about when Joshua was at Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite of him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you with us or are you with our adversaries? And he said, No. Are you with us or are you with our adversaries? No. Rather, I have come as the captain of the Lord of hosts. This is a, a, this, I love this passage because Joshua was in a, in a tough situation and he goes to and he sees this. It turns out to be an angel of the Lord who has a sword drawn. And Joshua's like, Hey, are you on our side or are you on their side? And the angel says, No. I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side. The question is, whose side are you on? And he says to Joshua, no, rather, I've come as the captain. Uh, In other words, I got this. Joshua's thinking, oh my goodness, I got this wall. I got to take this city. I got to get this wall to come down. And he's trying to see if if this angel, if this, this messenger from God, are you on our side? And the angel's like, no, actually, I'm not on your side. The question is, Joshua, are you on my side? And I often think that we spend a lot of time trying to get God to endorse our life plan. God, I got this plan for my life. Uh, It's got a little interruption from the COVID virus. And uh, I'd like to know, are you on my side? And the Lord's like, "Um, I knew there'd be a virus. I know history before it happens because it's already happened. And the question is, Chris, whose side are you on? Because I didn't come here to endorse your plan. I came here for you to be on my plan, in my plan, in my history. I think there's lessons that we can learn from the legacy of the scripture. One of them is in James chapter 4, He's talking about some business guys, and he says in verse 13, you say, come now, today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, engage in business, and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also we will do this and that. But it is, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Wow. James, by the way, I love the book of James. He is a direct personality. I get a lot of strength from him because he reassures me that I can be that way. (laughs) Or maybe I rationalize I can be that way because I see James talk so directly. But he says, you business guys, you say, I'm going to go to the city. We're going to gather some guys. We're going to you know, do an IPO and we're going to make a lot of money tomorrow. And, he's, and he says, that kind of certainty is boasting and it's evil because it doesn't factor in the idea, the concept, the fact that God's the one who has the future. God's the one that holds the future. 
We, we have this plan. And by the way, you know, I, I'm a business guy. I, I mean, I, I understand that you have to have financial projections. And, you know, if, if you're going to borrow any money, you can't come to the bank and go, you know, we're going we're gonna to go to the city and we're going to, we're, we don't know if we're going to make any money. Would you please loan us some money? I understand that that's not going to work. But we have to realize that God actually is the one who holds tomorrow. And what I'm getting at, and really this, this first part of this message is about we have security in things that God often has to shake to let us know that our security is not actually in him. And what I'm getting at, this virus is a great example. I want the virus to go. I pray the virus goes. I feel like the virus is going to go soon. So let me be clear. This isn't a doomsday message. It's that God often takes the things that we find security in and he shakes them. Not to hurt us, but to show us, hey, the reason why you feel so good about tomorrow has nothing to do with reality. I think about Abraham and Sarah how they waited forever to have a kid. I don't know how long it was, 60 years, 50 years, before they finally had this promise that God gave them, you're going to have a son, you're going to be the father of nations, nations were going to come to your life. I mean, all these promises, and they had one problem, they couldn't have a kid. And finally, they have a kid, as you know, Isaac. And when, when Isaac's a teenager, I don't know, he's 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, God goes, Abraham's feeling pretty good about life. He's got the son. He finally like, oh, my hope is in Isaac. And God goes, oh, that's the way you're thinking. Okay, let's take Isaac up to the mountain and let's sacrifice him. And as we know, thankfully, there was no child protection services in those days. There was no one for Isaac to call to go, my, my, my dad, the old man's flipped out. But the truth is, he didn't have to sacrifice him. But the point is, what was God trying to do? He was trying to make sure that although Abraham and Sarah finally had the promised son, that their identity and hope wasn't in the promise, but in the promiser. And oftentimes, God takes relationships. I watch it with dating relationships where people fall in love. They finally find the man of their dreams, the woman of their dreams, and, and I don't know how many times I've watched God interrupt their relationship. There's a, even often a breakup, a, a time, a cool off time where they, they start to realize like all of our life feels like it's in each other. And before we each had each other, God was in the center of our life. And there's this, there's this often this time where you have to sacrifice your vision, make sure that your security is actually in something secure before you can go on. And Isaac, you know, uh, I love the Hebrew uh, writer, does this great commentary on Hebrews, and he said, I'm, I'm sorry, does, does a great commentary on Abraham, and he said, God, Abraham finally came to this place where he realized that if Isaac died, that God would raise him from the dead. He had to come to a place as the father of faith to realize my security in God's fulfillment cannot be in Isaac. It still has to be in God. And I think in the midst of this bad virus, let's just admit it, it's a bad virus. Like if you like this time, if you're like excited about this time, either you're crazy or you've had an encounter with God. Right? I mean, let's just be real. Like, you know, I hear people like, oh, bro, I'm doing awesome. It's like, 
whatever. If you, if you feel like every day you're doing awesome, you've got a very small world because we got a whole globe that we should care about that isn't doing awesome. And so let, let's not pretend. I don't like pretend Christianity. But on the other side, and, and by the way, I, I want to be clear. I'm not in any way saying God created the virus. I'm saying that God uses stuff to shake us to a real secure spot in our life where our peace and our security really isn't related to what tomorrow brings, but who's bringing tomorrow. So important. Uh, I love this verse, and I've, uh, I've, I've come to it many times. Psalms chapter 2, verse 1. I think this is a great verse really for the season that we're in. In light of, um, in light of the elections and all of the season that we're in right now, if you're listening to this, we're uh, just a few days from the election, and if you're in America, it's, it's a pretty crazy season. No matter what side you're on, no matter who you're voting for, it's just a crazy kind of shaking season. And, and, this, and this, uh, David writes this, Why are the nations in an uproar and, the, and peoples devise a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us tear them let us tear their fetters. I don't even actually know what fetters are. <laughs> apart and cast away them, and cast them away. Cast their cords away from them. And I love this response. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord scoffs at them. He will speak to them in his anger, terrify them in his fury. But I say, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I, I just love that verse because it's it's like the uncertainty, and you got people hate God, and they're. You know, they hate people who love God. And, and here's God's response. <laughs> he just thinks it's all funny. He's like, oh, please stop. I, I just love that. I want to speak a little bit about having plan and certainty. And I was talking to the students this two weeks ago. It was kind of a BSSM state of address. And I was talking to them about the fact that our school ministry has went online for a season because uh, of the COVID numbers in our city. So we had to move to online. And I was talking to them about the fact that, you know, it's disappointing. You, you've come here for school. Uh, you asked before you came like, hey, is this live or online? And, and then, you know, you're two months into school or however long we were into school and, and we're, we're online for a season. And, and I, I was talking to them about how God uses circumstances. And I, and I told them a couple of stories I'd like to just repeat to you. And these are, you know, stories I've shared many times. But, you know, in, I got, we got married in 1975. And in 1977, I had a, a serious nervous breakdown. We were living in the Bay Area. And we had vacationed in a little town called, actually, Lewiston, Weaverville, that's, that's a, a whole community a few minutes apart, in the mountains of Trinity County. And we had just vacationed there the year before. We just, we, uh, my, uh, a friend of mine had moved there and uh, said, hey, come, come go fishing. So we went up there and we went fishing. And he was the only person we knew in the whole community. And, uh, and then when I had a nervous breakdown, I was, uh, there was so much pressure. I was running a repair shop, just, you know, new marriage brand. We just had a baby and all the pressure of that. And I, I would lay awake at night thinking, where can I go where the birds fly slow? <laughs> and, and there's no traffic. 
And I remember thinking, they don't even have a stoplight in the entire county where we went fishing. And uh, Kathy and I had always had this dream. We were obviously, we, went, we dated for five years before we got married. So we had this dream, especially Kathy had this dream of the little house on the prairie. So the short story is, I had this nervous breakdown, really, really emotionally broken. I'm, we moved to Trinity County, and that's a funny story. I bought a house that Kathy didn't even see. <laughs> she wakes up, we get to the house, we drive there, we get there at three in the morning, she still hasn't seen it. We put sleeping bags on the floor, we wake up in the morning, spiders are crawling all over her. And this is the introduction to her beautiful Lewiston house. And we meet, we, we end up in a little church, and again, this is a longer story, a, a little Assembly of God church with 40 people in it. We're there a little while, and uh, a hippie pastor and his flower child wife end up being our pastor, and that's Bill Johnson and Benny, who still are close friends and are pastors today. And my point is, is that we didn't move to Weaverville because we had a destiny. We moved to Weaverville because I had a nervous breakdown. In the middle of a nervous breakdown, God takes a nervous breakdown. He introduces me to Bill Johnson. We end up in a friendship with our families in a friendship. Our families grow, grow, grow up together. And I end up at school. I end up here helping to lead a movement when I was building an automotive business. And my point is, is that I thought something terrible happened. Oh my goodness, I have a nervous breakdown. I'm three and a half years of torment. And God goes, it's just exactly what I needed for you to meet the person that you will do your life with. In the middle of all of that, God said, we got these prophetic words, uh, five prophetic words in actually seven days. It was about opening a business. And people who didn't even know us would, would call, this is this five-day, this seven-day journey. Um, Dick Mills, uh, we had uh, lunch with Dick Mills, who was a prophet, who is a prophet. He's gone home to be with the Lord. And the very, this, how, this is how it started. We had lunch with him on a Sunday afternoon. Dick, uh, we're sitting there at, at lunch, and he looks at me, and he said, God's going to give you wisdom for business, the double wisdom, the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be in business. I want to be in that ministry. And that goes on. We have four more, three more words that, that week about being in business. And I'm like, what is going on? I actually went to see Bill in tears. Said, I don't want to be in business. I want to be in the ministry. And Bill tried to convince me that the business is the ministry. Charlie Harper, one of our very close friends who actually is with us here. We were, he was driving me to work one day because I had my car all apart in the shop. This is all in that week. We drive by the Union 76 station. He goes, last night I had a dream that you owned that 76 station. That was on a Thursday. I'm like, I don't want to be in business. I want to be in the ministry. The next day was Friday, about nine o'clock in the morning. The man who owns the 76 station calls me. I don't know him. I've never met him. As far as I know, he's not a believer. And he says, hey, uh, Chris, um, hey, I, I want to sell my business and I feel like you're supposed to buy it. And I'm like, okay, if I say no right now, you know, remember Ananias and Sapphira, you know, <laughs> who knows what could happen. I meet with him on Saturday. It's going to take a bunch of money. I don't have any money. I say, well, that's great. I get home. My wife says, call your grandmother. 
who's never loaned money to anyone. And the short story is, she says, I won't loan you the money, but I'll give it to you. She gives me the money and I'm like, all right, we're going to be in business and we're going to make a lot of money. (laughs) And for nine years, we were in that business and never made money. (laughs) And I remember one day laying on the ground, laying on the floor in the 76 station that God tricked me into taking. And I was saying to God, God, I don't know what happened. Like you said that if I go in business, you would bless me. And the Lord said to me, you thought I was building a business, but you didn't know I was building a man. And he said to me, this will all make sense in the future. I've already been to your future. Everything that's happening to you right now is building capacity for what I've called you to. Now, I got to tell you, I did learn one thing. When God says he's going to bless you, ask more questions. <laughs> I'm a little older and wiser. And God goes, if you open a business, I'm going to bless you. I'm now like, does it have anything to do with making money? <laughs> 20 years in Weaverville, building four businesses. And by the way, the other three did quite well, thankfully, mostly. We, we got an invitation to come and start the school ministry. Bill moved to Bethel to take Bethel Church, a, a church that his father had pastored many years before and that Bill was on staff at. And we had this meeting, this short meeting. We were on a ministry trip together and on the way home, we were in San Francisco sitting, waiting for our, our next flight, this little flight to Weaverville, to actually to Ready. And Bill said, you know, I'd like you to come and start a school of ministry that's been in my heart. And I'm like, okay. And we have drove down several times and done some classes for Bill and his staff. So I said, well, what day of the week do you want to do that? (laughs) Well, it became very quickly, very quickly became apparent, like, we're not talking about like a part-time class. We're talking about a full-time school. And the goal was to leave everything and to follow, to follow the Lord, to follow Bill And so, you know, again, another long story that we won't have time for. The Lord confirmed that that was the will of the Lord. I went and talked to Kathy. Of course, you can imagine her little house in the prairie dream was dying quickly. And she said, the only thing I asked is that the way the Lord spoke to you, he'd speak to me too. And she was within two weeks at a a conference at Morningstar Rick Joyner's church, the Lord spoke to her audibly on the last day of the conference and told her, you're coming out of the mountains and you're going to Bethel. And in tears, she picked up the phone, called me and said, the Lord just spoke to me powerfully. And so we had this great plan. We had four businesses and we had said, okay, well, we'll sell our businesses. We have about a quarter of a million dollars in equity We'll take our money. We'll come because Bill said, hey, I don't have any money to pay you right now. So, you know, you start the school and then once the school starts, you can, you can, you know, get paid. So, okay, that's great. No, we got a great plan and we sell our businesses. And well, the escrow, which was supposed to be a 90 day escrow, turns into an 18 month escrow and they keep delaying the escrow. So I moved, Kathy stayed back. I moved because we had to get the school going. 
And then finally, Kathy got here. And I think we got here in like this, I don't know, probably 15th or 16th month of the escrow. And, uh, and the short, that, the short in that story, we sold our businesses to our supplier, Big A. Uh, we, were, we had auto parts stores at that time. And, we, and after we got here, I think I was here like three months. Kathy was here like a month. Big A went bankrupt. And instead of having $250,000 to live on, we ended up owing $1.8 million. And I was like, okay, this is crazy. I, I spoke to Bill. I asked Bill if I could speak to the leaders, the elders, because I said, I, we have to leave. Like, we have $1.8 million debt. I mean, on the salary I'm making, I figured out it would take 12 lifetimes to pay it back. That's if we didn't eat anything. And I'm like, I have no idea what to do. And one of the elders, it's actually Benny's father, stood up in the meeting. I don't know if Bill remembers this, but I remembered as if it was yesterday. And he said, um, he's a very quiet man. And he stood up and he said, I want to ask you, first of all, we want to pray for you. And he said, when, when we're in trouble as a family, we don't leave, we pull together. And he said, I want to ask that you wouldn't go bankrupt. Because I said, you know, obviously we're going to go bankrupt. We owe $1.8 million and we go back to work and we have no money. And literally people were bringing us groceries. I mean, that's how, that's how bad it was. And uh, he said, I want to ask that you wouldn't bankrupt for six months and that you would let us pray for you and believe for a miracle. And I remember as close as I can to almost my, uh, probably my exact words. I said, I have no faith for that. And he said, would you trust my faith? I'd never heard anybody say that before. And, but here's what I thought. I mean, what's six months? I owe $1.8 million. I'm obviously not going to make $1.8 million. And, and it, what's the difference if I go bankrupt now or if I go bankrupt in six months? So I said, okay, I, I'll, I'll do that. I believe you. He prayed, he prayed. The elders got together and prayed. Bill prayed. All of us prayed. And I think it was within a month, half of my debt was forgiven. 920,000 of it was forgiven. I'm like, hey, this put your faith in someone else's faith stuff works pretty good. And within three years, the Lord either forgave or paid back all of my $1.8 million. Uh, where, where am I going? You're like, what, what's your point? My point is, is that when you think things are bad, often God's in the middle of it. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a disaster to bring you into your destiny. Sometimes you're out looking for donkeys and you find out you're supposed to be the freaking king. Like, like I'm trying to say that what you think is bad, you had a nervous breakdown. Oh, how do you know God isn't using that to get you to the person you're supposed to be with? You, you bought a business that didn't make money. How do you know that God didn't have that complete plan, knew you wouldn't make any money, did it on purpose, and used the pressure of the test to actually build faith in you for tomorrow because you don't know what tomorrow holds. How do you know when your business goes broke if God has another plan that actually will fulfill and prosper you to a place that you've never saw before? I have to tell you this part of the story, and I don't think I've ever said this from the podium before. If I, if I have, I just don't remember. After that first three years, we paid off all of our debt or it was forgiven. In the next 10 years, I made more money the first... The, 
year four, five, and six than I had ever made in all of business. I wrote a book that the Lord blessed. It took off. I made hundreds of thousands of dollars off of it. I never had written anything in my life. I can't even spell. And the Lord prospered us. And he continued to prosper us. He gave us a home that, we, that, that he said, in fact, this is a crazy story, but the Lord said to me, I want you to buy this home. It was three times what we could afford. The Lord said, I'm gonna give you a sign. It's gonna rain today, and it, but it won't rain over the house. It'll be sunny over the house. I got Bill and Benny. Kathy and I said, hey, would you come and look at this house for us, with us? Because we, God, Chris thinks, <laughs> Kathy said, Chris thinks we're supposed to buy it. I think it's crazy. We get to the house. It's pouring rain, pouring rain. Not raining, pouring rain. We get to the house. We drive up. The sun is shining over my house, raining over both neighbors. And Benny goes, isn't it strange? It's not raining over your house. And I go, that's it. I don't care how much this house is. This is a God deal. And we live in that house to today. I love this verse, Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, listen, uh, let, me, let, me, let me break this down for you. God prepared the works before he made the man, the woman. Wow. This is that Jeremiah 1 verse where Jeremiah goes, hey, I, I can't, I, you know, I'm not good at being a prophet. Jeremiah chapter 1, God goes, wait a second. Before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you to be a prophet. How could you not be good at this? I actually knew the call before I formed you. And I formed you so you would be perfect for the call. You're like, I'm in the middle of this hard time. Oh, you think God didn't know that? You think God didn't know that? Wait, let me say it differently. Do you think that God didn't assign this time for you to grow in him so that when you come out the other side, you will have capacity for what it is you're supposed to be doing anyway? Do you think that God would let a virus actually be a negative, a negative experience in your life, in my life? Do you think that God would actually have the layoff of your job? The virus happened, I, had to, I got laid off. This thing happened, I got... Do you think that God did not assign a test that would actually grow your capacity? What the devil means for evil, do you not know that God meant it for good? Is it not like Joseph, who his brothers tried to kill him, then said, oh, here's a better idea. Let's sell him as a slave. He goes into slavery. There ends up being a famine. If you don't know the story, Joseph ends up being the right hand to the king. There's a whole another beautiful long story. He ends up being right hand to the king. He ends up with the interpreting a dream that actually saves Egypt, the only place in the world that has food. Joseph is the gatekeeper to all the food. His family comes in, Joseph's family, 72 of them, come out of Israel into Egypt because it's the only place where there's food. And this is the guy they sold into slavery, Joseph. His brothers sold him into slavery. And Joseph finally reveals himself. And his brothers are like, oh my gosh, this is the guy we tried to kill. We're so sorry, please forgive us. And Joseph says to him, what you meant for evil... God meant for good. You sold me into slavery thinking you did something bad to me, but God sent me ahead of you to make sure I would, I would be the keeper of the food so that you wouldn't starve. Yeah. See, what you think is evil, 
God is the divine X factor. He has not just a plan. He's not like, okay, there's a virus. Let's do a plan B. No, no. God prepared the work before he prepared you. Sometimes we think about people and we're like, oh man, this guy's against me. That guy's against me. I was thinking about Saul, the guy who's destroying the first century church. He's like the leader of ISIS in his day. And he becomes the leader of the church who writes 13 books of the Bible. Moses, <laughs> Moses, the Pharaoh is killing all the firstborn or, or the son's under two years old. Moses ends up being one of those guys. All of Egypt is weeping as the young Israeli children are dying. His mother, Moses' mother, puts him in a basket, sends him down the Nile River, and guess who rescues him? The daughter of the king. And guess who's raising Moses? Pharaoh. Think about this for a minute. There, Pharaoh has this plan to destroy the Israelites, but God puts an Israelite as a son in the house of Pharaoh. And God's doing two things. One, he's teaching Moses how to be a leader because how many of you know your BC days matter as much as your, <laughs> as your days with Christ? I'm getting at like the things that happened before you knew Christ, God, before you knew Christ, he still knew you. And Moses doesn't connect with God for 40 years, but God has already connected with him. And Moses is going to be the leader of a nation. You know, if you're a leader of a nation and you just, and you've been a slave all your life, you probably need to know how to lead a nation. Yeah. Pharaoh teaches Moses how to lead a nation and he also introduces deliverance to the people of God. What you thought was evil, God actually had already planned for good. I mean, the list just goes on and on, right? I mean, you got Daniel in Babylon with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you got Nebuchadnezzar who destroys Israel, tears down the temple, and takes all the Israelites into captivity. And he thinks he's captured Israel. He thinks he has destroyed this God nation. And he makes one strategic mistake. He takes four boys, four Jewish boys, and he puts them in his service. And what he doesn't realize is over the next 70 years, brick by brick, stone by stone, they will tear down the power of Babylon and raise up the power of the king. I'm saying, if you listen to the media, you're not going to hear this stuff. Because God has an X factor. God knows the end before he started the beginning. And he's already worked it out for good. There's Abby Johnson, who was one of the leaders of Planned Parenthood, who actually becomes a pro-life revivalist. <laughs> There's Norma McCovery, who was the Jane Roe in the case of Jane, uh, I'm sorry, the case of Roe versus Wade, 
And she is the person who opened the door for abortion in the Roe versus Wade case. And she becomes a believer and spends the rest of her life fighting Roe versus Wade. I'm just saying, you don't have any idea what God has in store. What looks evil, actually God has a plan. And I just want to, I just want to kind of finish this with a thought. God's solutions often defy logic and reason. I, I just did a, I wrote a book on spiritual intelligence. And as I was writing that book, I was thinking about people often ask the question like, how come I don't get supernatural stuff? Let's just leave it like that. Supernatural stuff. Like what, you know, I, I love God, but I basically live in IQ and EQ, you know, emotional intelligence, IQ. I, I don't get a lot of SQ stuff. I don't get a lot of spiritual intelligence stuff. And I was thinking about that question because it came in on a question and answer panel. Like, I hear you, these stories that you guys have, and I'm wondering why I don't have those stories. And, and immediately when the person asked the question, I was reminded of, of the story of Elisha and the widow that's in 2 Kings chapter 4. And this, uh, this woman, this widow, had a husband who was a prophet, and he died, and he left her more than penniless. He left her in debt. And Elisha comes to the widow and says, what can I do for you? And what do you have? And she says, they're going to take my sons. This is, you know, this is debtor's prison. They're going to take my son into slavery, my two sons into slavery because we owe all this money. And Elisha says to her, what do you have? And she goes, nothing. We got nothing. We got a little bit of oil in a jar. We're going to eat it. We're going to die. Elisha said, "Uh, go get some vessels. Uh, Go get a whole bunch of jars, get barrels, whatever you can. Just go out and send your sons out to get barrels and jars. And the story goes that they brought a bunch of, you know, I can imagine cans, jars, whatever, probably jars in those days. And Elisha takes that little bit of oil. He begins to pour it out. And the end of that story is he fills all the vessels. And when the last vessel is full to the top, the oil runs out. And he says to the widow, Go sell the oil, pay off your debt, and live on the rest. Uh, here, here's my point. If Elisha would have had 40 grand, let's say she owed 40 grand, and Elisha said, I'll write you a check for 40 grand, how many understand he would have never tapped into a supernatural answer because he answered at a lower level? <laughs> and what I'm getting at is we often don't see supernatural moves of God because we we trust in our own ability or our natural ability to solve the problem and wonder why we don't see a miracle. I want to point out that God is in the miracle working business and that his spiritual intelligence often defies the natural laws of physics. I remember, and I'll I'll finish with this story. I remember years ago that I was used to go to a convalescent hospital with a man named Paul Schmidt, who was a sheriff's deputy. And we did this for five years. We visited the convalescent hospital and we would join hands just a couple of minutes before we go in and we would just pray, you know, for the hospital, for, that God would anoint us for, for, for ministry. And we would just go in and we would pray for all the elderly people every week and then we'd do a little service for them. And there'd be 10, 15 old people who would come and we'd sing a few old songs and then 
Paul or I would just teach a little bit. It, it was really not, it was nothing really. It was just us just visiting the broken. Well, I think we were like three years into this and we grab hands like we do every, every morning, every Sunday morning. And when we grab hands to pray, a really weird thing happened to me. I didn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't preconceived. It wasn't something I had ever done before like this. I grabbed hands and instead of praying for the convalescent hospital like we usually do, I heard myself say, and you shall be the sheriff of Trinity County. <laughs> and I was like, I had not predetermined that I was going to say that. And he opens his eyes and he said, what did you just say? I said, I think I just said, you're going to be the sheriff of Trinity County. He said, do you, how do you know that? I said, I have no idea. It didn't come to my mind until I said it. Anyway, he had to quit his job as deputy because the incumbent sheriff was running. He runs for sheriff. We get behind him. Danny Silk and I ran his campaign, which you should know we're already in trouble. And I, there was nine candidates running. And I think he took fifth or sixth. It wasn't first or second. And, uh, and so, you know, it's, so that was on a Tuesday, of course, uh, the prim, uh, primaries, fifth, sixth, seventh, something like that. We're all weeping. We have this word of the Lord. We're like, what happened? This is, very, this is when we're very new in prophecy. We're like, oh my gosh, God said it didn't happen. I mean, we just, we met at my house. We were all crying. Saturday morning, Paul calls. And he says to me, it's six o'clock in the morning. He calls me and goes, what are you doing? I'm like, sleeping. What do you usually do at six in the morning? He said, hey, I got this idea. I said, what's your idea? He said, I think I'm supposed to run as a write-in candidate. I'm like, I have never, I don't know anything about politics. This is my first thing. I said, write-in. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm half asleep. Are you, do you mean you won't be on the ballot? You have to write your name in? He goes, yeah. I said, when you were on the ballot, you took seventh, sixth. He's like, yeah. I said, so how could you possibly win if you're not on the ballot? He said, well, God said I'm supposed to win. I said, that was the word I gave you. Can we forget that? He's like, I just believe. I had this encounter with God. I'm like, all right, will you help me? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Anyway, we end up helping him. He's running as a write-in candidate. You can't have a sign that says write-in Paul Schmidt a thousand feet from a precinct, a place where you vote. The Sunday before the Tuesday, Bill calls him up front, like, oh, this is just getting worse, and says, I believe we're supposed to anoint Paul Schmidt sheriff. Ordain him sheriff. And I'm like, oh gosh, can we just, oh, this is getting painful. So we bring him up, we ordain him as sheriff two days before the election. And he wins by a landslide. He wins by a landslide. His name's not on the ballot, and he wins like by a landslide. And for a year, we hear testimonies. I went in the voting booth, and I heard this, not, not mostly Christians. I heard a voice that said, write in Paul Schmidt. Somebody else, we had this Chad system where you had to pull, push the machine down. People said, I went in there, and I couldn't push the machine down. And I heard a voice that said, write in Paul Schmidt. And he wins, but I forget what the percentage was. He beats 
the two guys that are on there. And I realize like the lot is cast, but the decision belongs to the Lord. God will defy the posters. He transcends the doctor's report. He wrecks the odd makers' betting lines. He can make wine from water, feed 5,000 people with a boy's lunch, and even raise the dead. He can transform a murderer to a minister, turn the heart of a wicked king into a humble servant, and save a nation in the day. You can resist him, but you can't stop him. You can run away, but you can't hide. You can scheme against him in the dark, but he will reveal your plan in light. You can't, he can't be overpowered, outsmarted, or outrun. If you're in your house, I'd just like you to stand up right now. You're like, this is a terrible season. Or maybe not. Or maybe God has you right where he wants you. And maybe there's another way to look at what you're in the midst of. I want to propose we are in a miracle season. You're going to see it in the, in, in the elections that we have all over the United States, we're going to see God interrupt the posters. God's going to interrupt, interrupt the naysayers. God's in the season. And I believe that if we'll just stop for a moment, stop listening to what the media thinks the season's about and begin to ask God, God, you knew what was going to happen before it happened. You brought me here, and whatever the devil means for evil, you actually use in my life for good. Lord, I just bless every single person who's listening, and I pray that we would step into the mind of Christ, spiritual intelligence, and be awakened to the fact that God doesn't need the store to be open to feed 5,000 people. He doesn't need a $40,000 offering to take care of a woman's debt. Lord, you have means that nobody knows about. And I pray in this season of seemingly uncertainty that we would become very certain that God's on the throne, that he has a great plan for my life, and that he brought me here not to destroy me, but to, do, but to actually destroy the works of the devil and expand the kingdom of God. I bless you in Jesus' name. I hope you enjoyed that message. You know that this podcast exists to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and develop you in the art of thinking like God. I want you to experience what it means to truly think like God and have the mind of Christ. So just a quick reminder that one of the best ways to do this is to read my book, Spiritual Intelligence, which is available for purchase everywhere you love to buy books. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to share your thoughts with me.